I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Hello and welcome to Fever FM. Tonight, a special edition. We have are joined by the uh, current assistant coach of the Wellington Phoenix men's team and the once and future head coach. Is it head coach? I'm going to go with head coach Giancarlo Italiano, uh, otherwise known as Chief. Hello, Chief. Hi, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. Been looking forward to this. It's uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. I expect. Um, uh, we ex- a lot of these um, coaching appointments seem to come over the course of the off season. This has been reasonably rapid while you're doing your day job. Um, how's that been? Uh, it's been a, it's been a great process. To be fair, um, the club I think went in a, a really organised and professional manner in which they uh, um, went through the whole process. Uh, probably started about uh, a month ago, uh, and. I had to sit through uh, three interviews, um, and before the co- the club was comfortable making a decision, and and then just the last week, just uh, even the the Friday before the pre- press conference, when I was told uh, I was going to have the job, uh, it was a very surreal feeling, um, and something that I never expected. Uh, to, to be quite honest with you, I, uh, it's something I. I it's so far off uh, to even dream um, that uh, that it happened. So it took me a couple of days to to actually register, and then um, when I had the press conference, uh, it all came to reality. So were you quite nervous about even interviewing? Look, my, my biggest reservation was uh, before even going through the whole process was I wanted to make sure that he um, was comfortable with me doing it. Uh, and th- that's probably more due to my character trait of being very loyal. Um, I'm loyal to the club, uh, but also Ufi gave me the opportunity. So I wanted to make sure that he, he was fine with that. And then once he actually gave me the uh, encouragement to do it, I actually um, I, I, I gave everything uh, I had. And I was, I was relatively conf- confident through the whole interview process. And when I got to my last one, I was actually really confident that um, – this is something that I can embrace and, and do very well in. Your background is a little bit unusual. I'd really love to kind of dig into it a little bit. Um, sure. You you haven't been uh, a professional player in your own right. Um, you've trod a bit of a, an unusual path. Can you just start right back at the beginning? You know, how did you get in, involved in football? Well, I can go back to um, actually my playing days. I, I, I played uh, MPL, played uh, Super League, which is the division underneath the MPL one. So it'd be like playing in Central League two. Um, and I was a goalkeeper. Uh, I was okay. It wasn't brilliant, um, but I didn't have the right temperament to be uh, a professional. Uh, I, I tried getting to those uh, elite levels um, and trying overseas and. That they all failed. So when I got to 18, 19, I, my life took me in another direction. I, I, started, um, I started university, uh, started following girls, and my life went on a different tangent. And then uh, fast forward to about 10 years, uh, and I was with a, a group of friends. 
And I was just all my intention was just to get fit, uh, lose a bit of weight, play with my friends, enjoy my time. And we uh, we had an all age Sunday team. Uh, I think it was twenty eight at the time. Um, and we had that one year together. Next year, first training session, uh, coach doesn't show up. My friend goes, I think you you should be the coach. And I'm like, okay, uh, for what reason? And they get, I just think you would be a good coach. So I said, all right, I'll do it because there was no one else that was throwing their hand up. Um, and then I started enjoying it after a couple of weeks. It was more about the relationships I formed with the players. And fast forward a year, we ended up winning the grand final. And I started building um, just a bit of an interest. Uh, and I really liked the people aspect, just dealing with people, you know, dealing with the fact that I have to make choices with friends on who's starting, who's not, who's not starting, how I deal with those relationships. So then I thought, you know what, I'm going to try an elite level and start getting my badges. And so from there, I went to RP Leichhardt as a goalkeeper coach. Um, and then about four or five weeks into the season, uh, the under-16s had lost all their games um, and no one wanted to coach the team. And I thought, it's a good bunch of boys. I knew a, a lot of those boys from training. I said, I'll take the team. Um, and then I think we went 16 games unbeaten uh, when I took over. And I really enjoyed that. And that was more about the motivational side. It was a really, it was a really good playing group. And then from there, I just... Um, I just motivated the group to play well. Um, and then from that point on, I felt like it was really important that uh, part of my coaching journey, I didn't think that was uh, the, all, the all and everything the way I coached that year. I thought there was more to it. So I started reading more, uh, started doing more badges. Uh, I started. Uh, I took on challenges where I, I took a team where um, – I took a team with about three weeks of preseason and try to build these misfits and try to make see if I could tactically make them into a really a really good team and I did that uh, the following year and <clears throat> every year I set myself a new challenge and a new role to build a skill set um, and I found my way into uh, Blacktown City as a technical director. From there, um, I was still studying my my law degree at the time. And uh, I wanted to focus on that. I had finished football and then Sydney FC asked me to come in and help with their 20s program because the coach at the time, David Zrilich, had left and I was uh, good friends with the head coach there. And so I ended up in the under 20s. I didn't want the job. And then the year after they offered me the 20s um, and I reluctantly took it. And um, I was there for a couple of years. That's where I met Uffi uh, in the first team and then... From there, I ended up here at the Phoenix, all by accident, never intended, to be quite honest with you. At every stage of uh, this this whole process, I've always wanted to grow up and be a, be an adult at some stage. Did you end up being uh, Uffi's assistant at Sydney or was it just... Uh... No, so Uffi was the uh, head assistant, uh, or sorry, the main assistant uh, under Corica. Um, so I was the NYL coach, which was the team underneath. Um, so I, I think I was, uh, 18, yeah, 2018 NYL season, uh, sorry, 18, 19. Um, and before that I was a twenties coach and assistant to the NPL one. So that's where we had met. Right. And then, um, uh, when Ufi comes over here, uh, your original role when he brought you over was the, um, was, uh, around video analysis, wasn't it? 
So yeah, so the the role was uh, analyst uh, and uh, I tagged on as a role as a second assistant, but it was mainly to do with the analysis side. That's quite a varied role and a, a, quite a rapid rise. Is what do you reckon are the advantages you've got there uh, coming into this new job? Well, I think the the one big advantage I have is I have a lot of life experience because. Um, I've, I've been able to travel. Uh, I've had a lot of significant uh, events happen in my life over time, uh, some tragedy as well. Um, and it's kind of shaped me uh, into the person I am now, which has made me a little bit more resilient. And also I think the the one strong aspect I bring to the group is that I'm, I feel like I'm fairly confident with man management and dealing with um, the group environment. Um, it is a bit of a, a, a quick uh, or uh, how would you say uh, a rise? But uh, I think it's also been uh, done incrementally, not drastic. So, the the first year that I was here, I was analyst and second assistant. So I spent a little bit of time in the park, and then I was promoted to the uh, main assistant the year after. But I was still doing the analyst role. Um, so it was a lot of work, but it was it was something that I I had basically built from the year before. And then last year. Um, we brought in a new analyst who was my uh, old intern uh, and I was able to focus more on the training side and um, and develop some other uh, ideas for the for the team so every year I've just basically added building blocks to to where I am now do you think there's um, any disadvantages in the way you've come through I, I've been coaching now for 15 years I don't see a disadvantage in in the way I've come through uh, it's I, I, it's actually funny because i i've been asked this before and and i actually had to uh really dig deep um and see that if i had any disadvantage the only disadvantage i would say from an initial point of view and, and i've mentioned this before in uh in previous interviews is that because i don't have a playing career sometimes that advantage that you have with players gaining respect from in the immediacy um i actually have to gain that over a longer period and build the player's trust. And I see that's the only real disadvantage that I have. Basically, uh, a perception, just not having that that uh, on-field experience is, is, has street cred, I guess. I'll give you an example, right? If, I, if I'm if i teaching Alex Rufa how to build up, okay, the it's easier for Ufi to basically demonstrate, ask him what he requires, as long as he has a good process, um, it's easier for him to buy into what he's trying to coach. Whereas someone like me from the initial point, if I came out from the cold, I would say it's, it's difficult unless I show that my method is substantiated and it has real depth, right? So that then is a question more about trust than it is about ability. So for me, then I have to show him that I know what I'm talking about. So that also comes down with the many games that I've watched, uh, the plays that I model, the movements on. Um, it's also the way I talk to the player, the way I show them options. And then once they feel comfortable, then I'm, I'm at that level, I believe. So is it um, – I just want to dig into it a bit more because I'm so quite curious about it. Is this something that when you're earning your tr- their trust – it's a question of their emotional trust. Like as soon as they trust you, they trust you with everything. Or are there these little progression steps where they trust you for this thing and you've got to earn that the next stage? Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's a, it's definitely a play-by-play basis. But 
I can give you a prime example. The the one player that um, I, I spent a lot of time in the first year dealing one on one with, and that was uh, Ulysses de Villa, and we we spent a lot of time together, and I gave him a lot of insight into the way I thought the ten should be played, uh, whether it be positional adjustments behind. Um, the centre midfielders when picking up the ball to the way they he, he ran with the ball when he dribbled. And he took everything in like a sponge, but he, he had the respect and we had the relationship where sometimes he would say to me, listen, that's uh, I think that's silly, right? So I would take that on, on board. I would reflect on that and i go, all right, that doesn't work. So then I would have to come back to a point where uh, I'd have to sell it in, a, in, a, in another manner, but we had that relationship. I also had the relationship with some players, uh, which I won't name, that um, if you give that sort of feedback, they would simply probably put it to the side because sometimes they don't feel like they need it. It might be too basic or maybe it's just a simple communication uh, process where they're not comfortable yet uh, with, with myself and they might seek it from one of the other coaches or they don't seek it at all. So... That that in, uh, part of my assistant role uh, over the last three years is I have to build all those relationships with players because I think in terms of also it provides a buffer for the head coach, but it also allows me to understand the players' motive. So it, it does come down to emotional intelligence, as you are, as you suggested. Uh, you mentioned the assistant there. Um, obviously, that's uh, you and Ufi have had. Uh, you kind of play different roles within the team. Presumably you're looking for someone to, that's going to complement your skill set at that head coach. What's that, what are the attributes of that um, assistant coach you're looking for without, you know, giving away too much? No, no, I think it's a good question. I think it comes down to personality type and uh, contrast. So for me, Uffi and I work really well because uh, professionally we both work well together. He has an idea. We both are very um, similar in in the way we want to get to the to to the uh, end goal. We just have different approaches. Uh, so so we have a really good relationship. So the players understand that. But um, also, uh, the the skill set of an assistant is he puts out a lot of fires. If that's probably the best way of putting it, a lot of fires before they actually become issues. And and for me. The head coach's prime uh, responsibility is just to deal with the football, the management of the team, and making the every, making sure everything's harmonious and that they they can players can perform on on the uh, on the weekend. So I feel like a lot of my my skill set is to offset that and make sure that he has a reasonably good good week. And it's also setting up with the training, the way we deal with tactics, how we bounce uh, off each other. But for myself, you know, I I look at my assistant coming in. And I, I probably prefer um, probably a bit more of a different uh, skill set um, because I think what I'm strong in now, uh, I need to bring in someone that uh, has a you know that, that can compensate me in areas that I that I feel like um, that I might need some work on. Um, I, I, would, I would like a strong communicator, someone that has also a really clear idea of um, how he trains and, and, and who he is as a person which I think is very, very important. So does that mean you're going to outsource the hair dryer treatment if it's required? Or you're going to, you're going to build on that yourself? No, I think, uh, I think the hair dryer treatment is something that needs to be used selectively. 
it's not something that needs to be used all the time. And if you're using it all the time, I think you you have far more serious issues at hand. Um, no, I can uh, I can definitely um, can definitely um, I've been known to uh, <laughs> to give the hair dryer treatment, but I I, I like to use it uh, very very uh, very rarely. I think um, I can't remember the saying, but the, uh, you can attract. Um, uh, something to do with bees and honey. I, I, I'm forgetting at the moment. It will come to me, but more flies uh, with honey, or yeah, yeah, something like that. But I think you know. I think sometimes th- to get the best out of people, you know, you need to be a good person first, and then give them the incentive to play, and give them a good idea of um, of why they're there. So yeah, sometimes uh, screaming doesn't help. Um, the, you mean, uh, when you mention uh, a good person, is that something that you're looking for in attributes of players uh, when you're recruiting or when you're looking at contra- you know, player retention? I think being a good person should be uh, something that is a staple of every person in the organisation. That's not to say that um, they can't be individuals and have their own thoughts and and, and be a little bit different and also, uh, you know, uh, have <clears throat> show a bit of dissent in terms of how you do things because I think that's healthy as well. But uh, a good good person with the right intentions and good values, I think that's also a close ethos of what I think the club is now. It's a good family club. Um, I think there's a lot of really good people in the organisation. Um, the, the playing group itself is very close, I feel. Uh, it's probably one of the best groups I've been associated with. Um, and I like to carry that on. But I also like to uh, identify people that have a desire to make the club better. I think that's really, really important. And that, you know, that comes with player signings as well. I want to sign, I want to sign people that are, are hungry and want the club to do well and will run through brick walls and uh, give 100% for the club. So uh, apart from like that attitude and being a generally good person, what else are you looking for? Say, especially for uh, young men coming through the academy. Well, I think the um, the important thing uh, for players to, that are coming through the academy is that they demonstrate um, a lot of the ideals that we're, we're basically trying to get in the playing style. So it, it is, first and foremost, I think, like I, I know this is a really basic way of uh, of looking at things, but like even like for example, what you want to see is like at training or in the games, effort is for example non-negotiable, or the way they train is the way they play. Really simple concepts, right? But that essentially, in a nutshell, is professionalism. You know, um, uh, at a smaller level, right? So when when I observe players and I observe um, even the coaching staff, I want to see that, that all those things are brought to life, even at you know a very small session to a larger session in the games. Um, in terms of like skill set, obviously different positions have different um, uh, skills that you want to you want to see. Like for example, you want to see tens that are creative, you want to see nines that are uh, clinical and 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 good in, and goals and defenders. You want to be good one v one. But yeah, I, I think it, it's also a mindset, um, and you want to see that the players will, are, are all applied. They're not, they may not play uh, well all the time, uh, but if the effort is there, then that's something you can work with as well. Uh, so you're going to be starting uh, down this road, obviously, once the um, this final 
uh, game is done and obviously the play, any playoff run that kind of ensues afterwards. Uh, looking forward, what are your priorities going to be in regards to setting that, setting up the team for next year? Like, is there a list of things or is it I'm parking that until we're done with the season? Well, first and foremost, yeah, the season is the priority at the, at the moment. And up until the um, season's done, then I can put my full focus on, on next year. Because for me, I, I still think we're in a really great spot, uh, irrespective of the form run of the last month. I think that getting into the finals, I and I know this from a fact because I, I speak to a lot of the other coaches from the other teams, the one team they do, do not want to play is us. They do not want to play us because they know that on our day um, we can beat anybody. I think that uh, there's that belief in the group as well, um, and I think um, that should be the focus for now. Uh, in saying that, um, I th- uh, you know, in, after work, I do spend a bit of time um, sorting out what the structure is for next year, um, but it's not my focus, my prime focus at the moment. You mentioned the form the last couple of weeks. It's, um, I guess it's got to be a bit of a tough one for coming for both you and Ufi coming into this uh, playoff run, uh, trying to get the, the guys back up and believing in themselves. Is it been um, a bit of a softly, softly approach or is it a bit of tough love or is it a combination of that? Well, I think the expectation is driven by the group and there's a high expectation. And I think um, the boys are professional enough that, um, you know, they, they work hard every session uh, in order to get to the outcome that's required. Um, we we really haven't, you know, really changed much up in the last month in terms of the way we deliver and what the content is because, to be fair, it's it, the same um, structure has got us through over the last four years. Um the only thing I would say is that just the uh, the timing of playing the top three teams or three out of the top four teams in the last month and being on the road um, uh, has, you know, it's it's probably hasn't been uh, a great mix um, as well. Even travelling, for example, to, to Auckland for the Brisbane game, it's still, even though it's a home game, it's still you're on the road, you don't have the advantage of, of being in your own bed the night before and uh, having an easy day going to the game. Um, but with that said, uh, we've never had excuses um, in, in preparing and uh, we just do the do the work that's required and, and make sure that the team is best prepared. And look, they're in good spirits. Uh, all the boys are, like I said before, are still very, very uh, optimistic of doing well. Okay, I'm going to leave that one there just because uh, I think we don't want to d- deep dive too much into that with you. Talking about Chief in the in you know five six years time, what's what are your kind of goals for the future? Do you have any? Um, there's obviously been a well trodden path for successful Australian coaches coming through the A League and then going out. Is that something that you you're interested as well in the medium term future? My, my only focus is the next couple of months, if you want me to be quite honest. My, my folk, I will not look too far over my shoulder. For me, the, the, the primary focus is to make sure we have a good preseason so that uh, we can build on what we've done this year. Um, my goal, if, if there's any long term, uh, is I want to I bring the first piece of silverware um, to the club. That's, that's in my mind and, and, and the way we get there is playing the best football 
uh, in the league. And that for me is the only goal. Uh, and at the same time, if I can develop a bunch of players coming through for the national team and through the academy, then I think that would be my job done. You sure you don't want to coach the All Whites, even if we said please? <laughs> no, I'm definitely not interested in the All Whites. I'm, all I'm interested in is making sure that the Phoenix is successful uh, in my tenure and for the next coach as well. Those are very uh, on-point ambitions. Um, so just with the closing off of the season, um, are you planning on basic, uh, taking a bit of a break to get your head clear once the season, the smoke clears? I think the the first thing that I'll do is uh, once the season's done, I'll spend uh, a little bit time here with uh, with Gilly and uh, and uh, some of the office staff and start putting to place how things uh, or how I'd like them uh, operationally run uh, when I get back. So um, and then once I once I establish uh, that framework, I'll, I'll go away for. A couple of weeks and then venture back uh he probably uh maybe one or two weeks earlier uh and making sure that everything is ready to go is it um basically full swing into recruitment after that recruitment and retention yeah the recruitment side is uh is paramount i i don't i don't want to be looking for players when we start pre-season for me i feel as though uh, I already have an advantage in the fact that we have so many players signed um, on the on the on a two year contract, and that um, I'd like to have as much as the, of the squad possible ready for first day of preseason, so we can start working um, on a lot of our playing model. Um, your recruitment's actually uh, been one of the success marks of uh, your yours and Ufi's um, time as in uh, the coaching roles at the Knicks. I want to know what the secret is, but I don't want you to tell anyone. Um, is uh, is that a um, a framework that you're going to retain, and you have, and you believe will be successful uh, recruiting um, while you're head coach? Well, I can I can give you the uh, the secret. I've got no problems telling you what it is, and that is just simply putting in the hours, and and watching players, and making sure they their characteristics fit the way you want to play. It's not a secret. Uh, I don't think it's uh, an overly, uh, overtly uh, complex system. It just requires a lot of time, a lot of time and a good eye. And that comes with experience, I believe. And the one good thing I've learned uh, with um, with Ufi, and it's, some, it's a trait that I've picked up as well, is that we are very, very picky when it comes to players. It sometimes uh, it can take quite a bit of uh, time before we make a decision on a player. If I just jump in quickly, when, when you talk about being picky, if you're saying looking for a defensive midfielder, say, you might need one in the off-season, how many players are you really looking at to fill that position? Is it is it five? Is it ten? Like, How many do you really put hours into to looking at in detail? Okay, so I'll give you I'll give you an example of the first year, which is probably the best starting point because we only had six signed players so we had to build a squad uh we databased 500 people over um basically every position uh the only ones that i think were were done were steph and ollie at the time as a keeper so that was pretty much done um out of that 500 i would say 
we sorted through about 160 as possible recruits. And then we have a coding system where um, the ones that we really like give it a favorable color. And then once we sort through those, we revisit them. And then we revisit the ones that we weren't sure of just in case we uh, missed something. Uh, but we have like notes that are attached. And then we have a, a way of looking at like the sequence of skills for each position. Uh, and then we probably get it down to about reasonably about maybe 10 to 15 for each position. Um, and then from that, we spend a lot of time. We talk, we do character references. Obviously, the uh, the big issue is with agents and, and pay structure and um, just more the business side of football. And then once we feel like we're really comfortable with a player, then we... And we'll, we'll speak to the agent, we'll speak to the player um, and we will just, uh, yeah. And then we can maybe prolong that maybe for a week or two until we're fully comfortable. And then once we're 100% sure, we we sign the player. So it's quite extensive once we get to that end part. Um, but we're very, very thorough in that, in that sense. When you're going through that process and you find a player um, that doesn't quite fit your model but is a talent is there scope within your system to adapt to allow them to come in or is it you're looking for very specific cogs to go in in the machine that you're building it depends um where you put the player in terms of uh their i hate to use a word like rank of position so for example if we're looking at a starter potential starter someone that we're going to invest quite a bit of money into i think it's the as long as the characteristics uh, meet the playing style then we're pretty confident that it'll just take a bit of time maybe just adapt uh, adaption in terms of the environment uh, but if it's like for example the number four um central midfielder that we're bringing in then the scope is wider so if we say, all right, you know, there is potential here, maybe it's more of a long-term project, maybe it'll take him two years or three years to get where we need to, but we can see that they will be the number one eventually, then we're a little bit more open. But we're still very, very, very picky when it comes to bringing those players in. Uh, well, it has been very successful, so please keep doing it if you don't mind. That would be, make me a lot happier. Um, uh, is it the sort of sort of thing that you're looking um, for Kiwis overseas, obviously, uh, you know, potentially players in the Bundesliga too with their team uh, in relegation trouble? May have done okay in the A-League. <laughs> now, look, I, I the good thing about uh, doing this process over four years, we're very... Uh, familiar with all the the Kiwis abroad, uh, we keep an eye on all, all of them, uh, even the ones here in the uh, in the in the local leagues. Uh, uh, I'm very open to you know seeing if there's any improvement with the players, and very open to to, to signing them. Um, we try to make sure that we don't close any doors because there's always there's always talent somewhere. Um, I mean, if you look at the amount of uh, Kiwi boys now in uh, the states. Uh, a couple of years ago it was minimal. Now it's uh, it's actually quite high. I think the list was at twelve the last time I looked uh, between USL and, and the MLS. So for me, that's just a representation that there's, there is quite a bit of talent in New Zealand. Um, with that focus on um, 
probably more on getting New Zealand players in because we have traditionally struggled to get quality Australians over here. Um, is there a is there a difficulty or a perception from uh, Kiwi players overseas about coming back to the A League, coming coming to the Phoenix? Um, oh, I wouldn't say um, they, that, that's a really hard question because you'd have to ask the player uh, how they hold uh, going to Europe, for example. Um, I can't speak for everyone. I, I think I, I would. I, I assume coming to to uh, New Zealand initially that everyone wanted to play for the Phoenix first, being a, the only professional club uh, in the A League. Uh, and I found that uh, when I came, there was a, a lot of players that actually would prefer moving to the lower tiers in Europe. Um, so I'm not really sure how what what's been said before and how they put that in context with the the league. I I, I don't know because I, I wasn't part of that environment. Uh, I'd like to think that, and I think it's reflective of the club. If we if we're doing everything right, the first point of call for any talented player coming through New Zealand should be the Phoenix as being the, the only professional club. And I think that's where we're trying to work to. Um, and I think the Phoenix is really well placed in being in a situation where you could, if everything goes right, you could have a turnover of players coming through the academy that just keeps the first team self-sufficient for many years, right? And that can happen as well if an Auckland team comes in, for example, because it's only two teams for a whole country. Uh, if you look at the way players are distributed in Australia, you have uh, on the East Coast, you have quite a number of clubs between Sydney, Melbourne uh, and, and the one team in Brisbane, but you've got a distribution of talent that, um, you know, is spread out. Um, but all those kids are dying to get into those clubs. And I think even the, it should be the same here with, uh, with just one club at the moment and possibly even two. Uh, I think that that talent um, should be spread and that, that should be the nucleus of the national teams and 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 really good players uh, coming through, even even abroad, eventually, or moving to Europe. That is sorry. With the uh, obviously trying to recruit those Kiwi players, where do you think that the A League and the Knicks in particular kind of currently sits as far as quality of football goes compared to the European some of those European leagues? I mean, we from our perspective, we see some of the European leagues and you know, third tier, and they don't look particularly good, but we're also not professionals. Look, it's a, it's a, it's a really hard question and really subjective question. And, um, you know, there are many formulas done with uh, um, rankings of leagues and so on. But I can tell you, speaking from firsthand experience, uh, and this is dealing with coaches overseas, the A-League's actually held in really high regard. Now, um, I'm not saying as good as Div 1 in England uh, or as good as the Championship, but I I sincerely believe a lot of the A-League clubs would give a lot of these teams uh, around these first, second divisions um, in most leagues uh, a, a, run, a run for their money. The question is whether you can do it consistently over a season uh, and because then other issues come into play, squad depth, um, uh, and if you have a very shallow squad, it's very hard to be competitive uh, long long term. Uh, that's the only issue I'd say. But if you look at the players now starting to go into Scotland, starting to go to England, for example, Wayno at, at Plymouth now, um, 
and you've got uh, Libby uh, who's playing uh, in Serie I kind of think that it, it gives you an indication that there is quality in the league. Um, and I think once more more teams are brought into the to the A-League as well, that you will have a bigger pool of players and potentially maybe even a, a second division, which would raise also the standard, um, I, I believe. But I can't really give you a definitive, this is, this is where the level's at. And I think they'll compete here. I, I think, yeah, I think it, it's a it's a very very hard hard um, hard question to answer. Yeah, you've you've got a, a two year deal. Can you provide any guarantee you're not going to pull Mark Rudan leave after the first year and sign for the Auckland City franchise? I guarantee you right now, I will not uh, be leaving. Thank for you. Two years. Uh, whether I get sacked <laughs> is another question. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll ask a question. Um, yeah, so you've talked, I think, pretty extensively about the the football stuff, but obviously you've been in in Wellington for quite a while now and decided to stick around for another two years. Is that um, reflective of the fact you're enjoying life here in Wellington and and you know the the outside of football elements of it too? Well, yeah, I love it. I mean, uh, I, uh, the the two years of COVID, uh, where I was based between Wollongong and Chatswood and back and forth, that kind of kind of, uh, you know, made it a little bit easier because I'm from Sydney, uh, so I was closer to my family. Um, but I, I love it here. My first year in Wellington, uh, I lived in town uh, and I, I just love the whole feel of uh, uh, of just walking from town, going to Freiburg every day, uh, going for a walk, going to New World every day and uh, enjoying Cuba Street. Um yeah, I, I love Wellington. And for me, I, I was actually quite shocked when I came to New Zealand. I didn't realise how beautiful of a country it was. That's my own ignorance. And now I fall in love with it. And I can't wait to actually start uh, spending some time um, visiting um, a little bit further up uh, and, and going on the, uh, going to the South Island as well. So I'm looking forward. Um, potentially my mum's going to come with my with my uh, pet dog, which, is, which would be great. So... Uh, knowing that um, they will be settled here with me as well, just make things e- easier. I made some good friends here, uh, especially through the club. Um, and um, yeah, the only downside, and I'll tell you honestly, I've, my my big downside is I just won't be hanging out with Ulfie as much. Uh, so uh, I'll have some quieter nights. But um, yeah, I just I think uh, that is probably the only downside uh, I would say of living in Wellington. Is that a key key um, performance indicator for your new assistant, maybe? <laughs> yeah, possibly. Mate, you're welcome to hang out with us on this pod any night you like. <laughs> yeah, you didn't pick up uh, Stevie Taylor's um, jet ski when he left or anything? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm still in touch with Taylor, by the way. He's, uh, he's doing very well uh, um, in his club in... Um, where is it? Dubai, I think it was UAE. Yeah, Chief, you've told us obviously a little bit about your yourself uh, that you are from Sydney. Um, you've also got an Italian background as well. Could you, just for those who don't know anything about you, tell us a bit about you your, as a, as a kid, where you grew up, why you were handled as Kiwi Chief, particularly all that, uh, anything about that? Um, all right, so I'll just clear up the whole family situation because Rollo asked me the same thing on the presser. Uh, so father is Italian from Genova, 
but the family originates from Sicily, so they migrated to Genova. Um, I think it was late late fifties. Um, so I'm a mad Sampdoria fan. That's for that's that's my thing. So my dad went for Genova, so I went for Sampdoria. That was despite him, but um, always loved the loved uh, the Samp. Um, so, but my mother's Peruvian. Uh, so that's why I get the uh, dark features because uh, my, my dad was white um, and I'm also mad. Um, I, I love South American football. It's, my, it's for me, Commonwealth ball qualifying. Uh, I watch every game I can It's and, and all the leagues in uh, in South America are crazy. So um, now in terms of uh, growing up, I was, I was a Sydney boy. Uh, through and through, I lived in the inner west, which was uh, was basically the multicultural pot uh, of Sydney. So there were Italian, Greeks in my school. There, there was as every type of uh, race and um, ethnicity. So um, I loved it. To be fair, it was it was one of the best uh, times of my life growing up through my teens. I was lucky enough. I went to Italy a couple of times. Tried my hand over there with a couple of clubs and didn't do well, but. Um, uh, then I came back, and then uh, what was the other question? My my Kiwi Chief handle. So my nickname is Chief. So uh, I thought, well, seeing I'm in New Zealand, I'd be a Kiwi. So I put them together, and that's the handle. Outside of football, outside of hanging out with Ufi and all that sort of stuff, what are your interests? What do you do? What do you spend your time doing other than analysing football data, basically? Well, oh, I can't believe I'm going to admit this. Um, I'm a bit of a Star Wars, Star Wars nerd, so. Oh, uh, mate, love- you're talking to the right group of people. It's fine. Uh, I just watched uh, all of Mando yesterday on my day off, so yeah, yeah. disappointing. Hey, uh, how do you feel about Din Grogu? Did it bring a tear to your eye? Yeah, it did. Spoilers, I'm, I'm, I'm Spoilers guys. No, 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 yeah. no. Spoilers. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. You know, my, uh, you know my feelings. Yeah. yeah. No, I wasn't. I wasn't happy with the uh, the uh, the trilogy sequel trilogy, but I didn't mind understanding that. But yeah, I love Star Wars. Uh, what else do I do? I've um, I, I I I love reading. Uh, and I, I, another nerdy thing, I'm into American politics, so I, I love listening to a lot of political podcasts. And I I'm not affiliated left or right. I just enjoy the circus. So, uh, <laughs> why uh, why were you studying law in particular? Because I thought it would be a really good way to make a lot of money. And then I started studying, and I realised, uh, yeah, this is pretty hard. So, eventually, um, I got too far into it to stop. So, yeah, no, I, the the law degree was more because I felt like um, I was very good at debating uh, and arguing um, and 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 I re- to be fair I it's crazy like you go into law school you know you might be the smartest at school or one of the smartest at school and then you go into law school and then you realize you're actually quite dumb so uh, that was a really sobering experience and I realized I'm not going to be a top lawyer uh, but I, I was going to get into criminal law um, and it's also I think it was to keep my mum happy to be fair um and then and then like i said before uh, coming into coaching was uh purely by accident and at every stage i wanted to quit and become uh, as i said in my press an unhappy lawyer um and it's just it's always football's always got me saving me so 
and hopefully it saves me for the rest of my life, to be fair, but yeah. I feel like those are Helena's words coming yeah. out of your mouth, to be honest, mate, because uh, she's doing pretty much that lifestyle at this point in time. So, yeah, just... Yeah, too late to quit was definitely a very resonant quote. Yeah. I'm at law school. Cam stole my question about law school. Thanks, Cam. Sorry, what, you're what, welcome. You're I'm in my last semester, so I'm in my sixth year. Sixth year, okay. Too so, late to quit. Yeah, and... and... One thing I noticed in my last year, my last year felt like I was in a, a torture chamber. I, I felt like it was going to end and then it just took forever. And it was probably the worst year, the last year. Yeah. Anyway. Preaching to the choir much. on that one. <laughs> yeah. I've subjected these guys to complaining about law school too much, though, so I won't get on this particular soapbox. But thanks for stealing my question, Cam. It's what I'm here for, honestly. <laughs> I, I think probably we should let uh, Chiefy get away and uh, enjoy the remainder of his evening. But one last question. Um, so what's the one message that you want to uh, give to the uh, greater fan base of the Wellington Phoenix? The, the one thing I would say is that uh, I, want, I want to give the uh, fans uh, something to be proud of in terms of product and what the club stands for. And I think that's really reflective uh, on what you see in the 90 minutes uh, on every every game day. Um, I, I believe in being honest and, and respectful towards your fan base. And, and uh, you know, I, I like to, you know, get get the team playing in a way that everyone's really proud and reflective of, of the town. And that's the only thing I would say. You know, the, the, the focus will be on the performance, making sure the quality is there and then, and then uh, the results will follow. That's a beautiful sentiment. And we'll wrap it up there, I think, to let you go on your way. Um, thank you, uh, Chiefy. That was a magnificent chat. Um, please come back anytime. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. Welcome back. Um, I thought that was a remarkably enlightening um, little chat, uh, but it does mean that we have to get on to the icky stuff. Um, I, I was just cracked out a it's a good game. It's a fast game, and unfortunately, this one lasted ninety minutes. Uh, there was no mercy shown. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know where to start with this. It, it didn't start well, and it continued to not continue well. Uh, let's just go with the vibe. Uh, we'll start with the man that was there, Dave, <laughs> returning, returning hero, shaking his head, going, "Screw you, Frosty." What a fantastic trip that was. <laughs> Hey, was it was it was was it better or worse than the the, the Newcastle trip where we lost five 0 Ah, the 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 general vibe of the trip fairly similar. You know, <laughs> you arrive at the ground in high spirits, and then I don't remember much of the second half because uh, drinking was the winner on the day. Um, yeah, so long as you enjoyed yourself, Dave, that'd be at least one Wellington, uh, one Kiwi in the um, in the stadium. Well, no, there was there was a there was a good fever crew there, and you know we all we all had some fun. But yeah, the football definitely wasn't the wasn't the winner, um, that's for sure. I don't I don't know. I'm, I'll get my thoughts out before you start talking coherently about the game, because as I say, you know we we turned to the drinking pretty heavily. But um, it sure felt like this was one of the worst games we've played in some time. Um, we just looked massively off the pace, and I think I think a couple of those early goals really felt like you know we'd got a toe in and we'd won the ball, and then. Just no one would put their laces through it. It was, it was there to be cleared, and instead we let them win it back and have another go. And and it just felt incredibly frustrating because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like we were totally out of this. And we kind of 
almost played ourselves out of it. It felt, you know, chances were few and far between at the other end, but we were just gifting them a second or third attempt when we'd actually got ourselves in a good position to clear it. But I think you're talking about one of those first two goals, the where we got uh, it two felt like more than one to me, but yeah. That first that first goal was the is the prime example of what he's been saying there, wasn't it? Because we basically had two opportunities to clear that and screwed that both times, fell perfectly to the attacking player who passed it to another attacking player who was in space each time. And the last attacking player in space happened to be able to side foot home a very nice easy finish. So yeah. I um as much as I know we're going to bang on about us being quite poor, and I think we we wholly were, um, I thought the Wanderers were actually pretty slick and were showing some pretty good um, pedigree. Uh, what's the uh, right wing? Uh, Leuni? He looked electric and just the beautiful, subtle movements really showed up. The, uh, he was having Sutton on the plate, to be quite honest. But unfortunately uh, for Sutton, uh, the centre-backs were just making a meal of everything that came their way. Uh, Payne and Wooten, I don't know what they were doing with that one in the six-yard. Was it the first goal that you were talking about, Cam? Yes. Yeah, that I, I genuinely don't know. And one thing that Payne normally will do is he'll normally just say, fuck this, and just lace it somewhere. Uh, and he just didn't. Um, is is this? Do you guys reckon that this is just a com- lack of confidence? It felt that way to me. They just didn't. Know, they were frozen. I'm not. Sh- I think it's very hard to talk about confidence, like because you know you're not in the team environment to say whether it's, that's that's true or not. And yeah, for the most part, footballers don't lack confidence. But yeah, I think <clears throat> this. Yeah, the whole game was just a bit of a shower of shit, wasn't it? Really, um, we had maybe two decent chances and, and, and the rest. Well, I think I tweeted at the time, it kind of reminded me of any away game that was during the Herbert era. Like, where you go over there, you'd expect to lose, and it was just by about how much. Um, sometimes, you know, our goalkeeper would have an absolute stunner game and keep it tight, we might nick a draw, but for the most part, we'd, we'd look well across, you know, well, second best and, and lose, you know, three or four by three or four goals and it just reminded me of one of those games where it just was just wave after wave and we looked looked panicked very very focused on the ball and who had the ball and just very unaware of what was at what was happening elsewhere and i think you know that first goal is exact prime example where we had you know almost eight eight players i think in the box and they had three and and two of them managed to get to the ball first, you know, just not completely unaware of where everyone is and, and being so focused on the moment, not focusing on where everything else is, is meant and you know, in the field. I can't I can't break this down because I was having some issues with my stream, so I didn't get to see most of the game. But what I did see, it felt like Rudan had probably worked out a way to counter what Ufi was trying to do. In general, what Ufi tries to do. I can't give you any any analysis of that essay because I couldn't see most of the game due to internet issues at the time. So, um, but it did feel like Rudan's plan was very effective against what Ufi was trying to achieve. I mean, at the ground, I think what you're saying probably is accurate, but it really just felt like Rudan's plan was walk it through the middle. 
and we kind of let them, um, <laughs> which I think is probably a bit harsh. But we we clearly were trying to set up and, and play the ball around and, and you know, break them down a little and look for an opening, um, you know, actually look for a good opportunity rather than just kind of lump it forward and hope. Certain, certainly early on, you know, we were, we were going up one wing, play it back, through the middle again, look down the other wing and, and keep looking for it to open up. And it and it it didn't really, which is, you know, a credit to how they were defending. But similarly, when we did turn the ball over, honestly, two passes and they were at our 18-yard box. Um, it, it really just felt like they were able to just cut right through the middle of us. Um, it didn't it didn't look fancy on the ground there. But as you say, there probably tactically is a lot more behind that than what it looked like on the grass. I think we've seen over the last Oh, mostly maybe most of the season or at least the second half that any any team that plays transitionally is is set up well against us you know we, we don't manage the transition from attack to defense at all well and and you know I was writing notes during this game and the amount of times it was blah 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 gets in behind was just you know it was like almost a dozen times it was you know they'd win the ball break quickly and use their pace to break forward get in behind and cause trouble and at some point, when it gets that midfield and and it is a break, someone needs to stand up, come out of the line, and clatter someone. But it was just we just kept dropping off, dropping off, dropping off, focusing on the ball, and then the ball will be played, and they realised, oh crap, the guys just run round us on the outside and got in behind. It's just, I think any team was to, if they've watched the last month, would say, well, let's just give the Phoenix the ball and be as defensive and as patient as we can be on defence, and then. Wait for the moments that they give up the ball and break from there, and that's the that's the easiest way to beat us. Just saying, I I agree with exactly what you're saying about the transition, but the way our defensive players organised themselves, it was just a shambles. At one stage, it looked like um, there was a break on, and three players had stepped up, and Wooten was back by himself covering the the long ball, and I'm going something's not right there. And of course, as soon as they're playing any lateral ball. We're just getting absolutely found out. It just didn't speak to me of a team that were kind of on the same page. It, they'd go from like not making the same play to like everyone trying to make like everyone, you know, when you're talking about that um, eight players in the box, it just felt like all eight would run in a, one big bunch and not spread out, not organize themselves. It was, it was panicked when we did transition. Like they knew that that was the way to get us. I mean, there was no roofer in that midfield. Is is that uh, the two guys there, um, uh, Ugarkovic and Lewis, is it just that they were getting caught out? Because I didn't think they were. Roofer is the most defensive of the three that we play through that space. It doesn't look like Pennington's going to be getting any minutes anytime soon and certainly hasn't seen any playing minutes recently. So, I think um, there's a reason for that. Sure. I mean, he, d- he did come on in the 79th minute, but I can... I can recognise why you might not have noticed him. <laughs> well, as I said, I haven't, I haven't seen that because I couldn't, I couldn't get that bit with the stream. So um, I, I did notice him, and it was because he gave the ball away twice. Yeah, so I think, I think, like playing those two was necessary because it was a game that we needed to win. We needed to chase three points, and yes, we've got lucky. I'm sure we'll come to that. We've got lucky with everything else that's gone on in the league, but we did need to chase that game. So you're going to play your two, two more attacking players, but. I think at some point we need to just be a little more pragmatic about the approach there and go sometimes of the 25 points we've dropped this season from winning positions, 
we'd probably take about two or three of those points right now if we'd been a little more pragmatic about how we closed out games. So, Yeah, um, well, this is one of the few times that we haven't got off to a reasonable start. We just got rocked from the get-go. It's our first, um, first time we've failed to score all season. Yep, true. And uh, one of the first, I, I guess, that we've have gone behind early. Uh, that was only um, eight minutes in. Did that kind of... Yeah, I don't know whether that set the tone for that or whether they... It didn't feel like they ever got their feet on the ground properly. Is it just lack of confidence? Is it just Wanderers playing well? Uh, yeah, if this was a, a game that was, you know, start of the season or even, you know, round 10, we'd probably wouldn't look at we'd probably look at it quite different and go, ah, oh, it was just shit day at the office. Every team has them. Um, this is probably the worst one we've had this season. I think last year we've had, I think we lost to City 6-1 or something. I remember that being particularly bad. But I, I guess in the context of what we've seen in the th- three or four weeks before, it's really amplified, um, I guess, the angst around it um, and gone, is this a now a summation of what has happened, you know, in the few weeks before, or is this... It seems to be something that we the Knicks do a lot, though. At the tail end of the season, we, with the exception, I think, of the 2021 season, we taper off fairly substantially. Do you reckon it's... But a you know a lot of travel and a lot of you know emotional drain. I mean, I think there's got to be an element of that, right? But I, you you do have to wonder what exactly this is because this was the the game we needed to turn that form around, right? Obviously, we've been on a pretty poor run. We're heading to finals. This was the game where you could secure your spot there, taking a win. You know, you it was going to be a tough game for sure, but this was the game to get up for. And as you said. Um, you know, we we looked basically like we didn't show up. Um, you know, we never we never looked like we were in this particularly. It wasn't like we had a good good first twenty and then it kind of started to fall apart. From the get go, we were under pressure and never really got into it. So I think I think you've got to, as Dale says, you know, in a different context, you might not worry about this, but I think this was the one that surely we were trying to get up for. Surely this was the game to try and at least. Um, show some fight to turn that form around ahead of a playoffs um, run, but there was no fight there. So I mean, shit. If they couldn't get up for this one, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to see against Macarthur this weekend. I hope. Um, I hope. Yeah, Ufi and Chiefy find a way to to get them in the space they need to be. Because I would have thought they tried everything for this one, and it just wasn't there. Well, I guess I look back at previous seasons. We've always had a, a period where we've had a, a shit run of it, like. First season, we we didn't win a game in the first five games. Next season, we lost four straight, which included two 4-0 losses. And later in the season, we had a 6-0 and a 5-0 in a row. And we've always kind of you know, responded reasonably well at some point. And I guess, I guess the mystery is, are we, is this just the tail off of a season for whatever reason? Or is there a way to kind of recover you know almost immediately you know we've had a few bad results but we've had that previous previous seasons and we've bounced back reasonably quickly yeah i mean macarthur aren't exactly going well themselves either so who who really knows what that will happen well yeah i mean we're looking at macarthur there sitting wooden spoon but that's not a great you know that's not a massive thing at the moment this a league i think 26 points sorry they're only a few points off basically uh seventh 
Um, but it was the, only this the last game, uh, the last minute loss to victory, which rolled them out of the um, playoff run list in the weekend, just gone. So they were still in with a shout up until they didn't beat victory. Yeah, the, their form is only slightly better than ours. They've got had two draws in the last five. We've had one. Um, you mentioned one point. Uh, Cam, that's one, one point, point in six in games. Six yeah. games, yeah. Um, uh, you've got to assume that MacArthur have a lot to play with for here because points here can get them off the wooden spoon. We only need one point. It, it does feel like even that one point is going to be a bit of an ask unless something changes. We might actually be in a position where we don't need any points because um, we can still, as we've seen the last six weeks, the results have gone our way almost every single week um, to the point where we're still three points clear of the teams chasing us when we haven't got a win in six. We've only got one point in six games. So, you know, we've got quite lucky there. There's still a possibility that could happen this week. Even if we lose, we could still end up in the playoffs. So, you know, it's not the end of the world, but yes, it would be nice to just get it over the line with that in the MacArthur game. The other teams, I think Newcastle play Sydney at the same time as us and uh, Perth play after us. Perth play on Sunday, but but they're also at home against Western and their home form is very good. So I wouldn't be backing on them losing that game or not winning it when, you know, They've got a whole day to kind of address it, but I don't, I'm not really. I agree that Mark McCarthy have much to play for, really. Um, you know, they're in a bad run of form since I swapped coaches. I think he's only won two games. I, mean, I, I guess the problem is, is, is because you've you've bring it down to the last game. There's always the risk that something catastrophic happens. You know, you get a first minute red card from your keeper or, or something like that. That really, you know, stuffs you for the rest of the game. No, and I think I think annoyingly we're now at the point where kind of best case scenario is we limp into the finals. We certainly don't go in with any momentum. I think even even if you do put MacArthur to the sword this week, that's hardly, um, you know, it might might give some strikers and stuff a bit of confidence. But I don't think it's a, a glowing endorsement of your current form realistically because their form's pretty rubbish too. So um, it leaves us in a tough position where if we do get the point and, and secure ourselves a spot or we take all three it still feels very much like limping into those finals, and particularly when your opponent might well be the Wanderers. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to be heading back to uh, to Parramatta feeling confident about how that's going to go, right? Yeah, I, it's something that I've um, I was trolling through the stats, and I noticed that basically when we were we were always trying to bang it into Zawada, and I was having a look at the n- number of goals. It's basically Zawada on, was he on fourteen now? Crive is the second top scorer on seven, and I don't think he's scored in the last seven He hasn't scored games. for seven games? Yeah. yeah. After that um, is Sass and Ben Wayne. Yeah. Ben, ben Wayne, Wayne hasn't yeah. scored since round five. Yep. So it, just that variety seems to be really killing us. I mean, it's if we can't keep a clean sheet, we need someone scoring goals, and it can't always be Zawada, right? I say getting goals hasn't necessarily been an issue. We have scored in every single game prior to the one we've just had. It's just that we're not scoring lots of goals in every game. So there's a few guys who've got two, I think, and a few guys have got quite a few guys have got one. So there's you know the the goals are there. The problem is Wada's going to get one, and he hasn't doubled up on any game this season, and no one else is chipping in with any form of regularity. That's where the problem lies. And we're conceding on average 1.8 goals a game. 
exactly, and scoring I think it's 1.6. So scoring in every game, but only about 1.6. So, yeah. Yeah, we, we've uh, nicely managed to avoid really talking about this game in particular. And I, That's a good thing, mate. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that is. Uh, was, a, was a tidy display by the Wanderers, 4-0 in the end, could have been slightly more. Um, I, I'm being generous. There was a couple of... There was a, a couple of good saves. I think Ollie Sale made a couple of really, you know, his traditional quality saves. Um, and also a glaring miss by someone that got in the back post late. What were the redeeming features? Let's, let's just claw back something here. Oh, I don't think there's any, is there? I don't I can't think of anything that was impressive. I've got two things. Not two things. First one is nobody got injured for our extensive playoff run that's coming up straight into the grand final, which is gold. And uh, Dave got to have some fun chanting at the opposition manager. Two proper highlights of the week. Redeeming features. I mean, yeah. Well, you did a good job, Dave. Uh, we all saw him uh, have a bit of a tantrum at you at one stage. He so was uh... absolutely foaming at the mouth, wasn't he? It was amazing. Um, and and to be fair, we didn't even roll him up that much. I wouldn't I wouldn't say he copped anything in particular um, more than he does anywhere else he goes. So I think it just shows that uh, probably the Fever boys still have a bit of a bit of a yeah nail under his skin or something. We we Live definitely are uh, all that thread. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, please keep doing it because he's a yeah. I'm sure you know my feelings on him. I um I had to had to give my partner a little bit of kudos because we were we were flying back today and I said oh another trip to Australia without seeing a snake and she said actually you did see one in Parramatta oh well played oh well done that's excellent yeah huge fan let's just crack on just finish up with that game and just say it wasn't great and it wasn't getting any better the longer it went on the MacArthur game uh. Who do, who do we think is is going to start this game, and what are we got to do to turn it around? Well, it's funny because I think um, Philip Rollo tweeted out before the game the starting eleven saying this this is the first time that um, that the starting eleven's been put together, and he, he opined that perhaps it was our strongest one. <laughs> we turn around and deliver that. So, um, I mean, I don't think anyone really saves themselves. So, I don't know. Do you do you? do it again and let them have a chance at fixing it? I, I really don't know. I think you start with the team that played the start of the second half against Brisbane and start with the same tactics that you were playing at that point because that 25 minutes was some, or 25 to 35 minutes of that half was some excellent, excellent football. So I would be, whatever the recipe was you'd cooked up, for that particular broth is what I'd be feeding this game. I can't remember who that was. It feels like it was an eternity ago. Was it Crive or Costa and who was in midfield? Yeah, Crive came off the bench for Zawada. Um, and that was only a couple of weeks ago, mate. And uh, Yukakovic started up front. I started in the midfield with Lewis. In my defence, it's been school holidays, so it feels like Mine too. But the point, the point I think is we have to win it. Like, we have to go out and win it with the mindset that we're going to win it. And uh, if we end up getting a draw, we need to play, still play with that mindset that we had in the second half of that game. We're going out to win. So throw everything into that. We know we can play very, very well. We have the people 
I was going to say cattle when we got caught off, got told off for calling our players cattle, didn't we, uh, quite recently. So we've got the right personnel there to uh, to play good attacking, uh, a good attacking brand of football. We have to win it. We just have to do that. So that team that started the second half against Brisbane using the same tactics and go out and do it. That's what I want to see. Devil's advocate, do we even want the one point for a draw or is it just win or take the holiday? No, mate, you want playoffs. You've got to have playoffs. But if you any chance of making the playoffs, you go for it. Yeah, I, I dived into the forums a couple of times uh, since since Friday, and as you can imagine, there are some serious hot takes going on. But people who say, "Oh, we shouldn't even bother; we should just put in the kids for experience," like it's just like totally bizarre. Like they're not serious people. Like, like it doesn't make sense in any kind of stretch. You know, you might get bundled out, but you know, stranger things have happened. You know, teams. I think Victory won it from sixth one year, didn't they? Or maybe fifth. Um, so stranger things have happened, um, and you know who knows we might suddenly flip it around almost instantaneously. Yeah, and you get you get a if you make it through that first round of playoffs, right? It goes to a home and away series. That's got a that's got to help out your chances, and it's another game in Wellington. So I mean, as a fan, I don't know why you wouldn't want that either. And for Ufuk Tale, like for him thinking about his stock, he's got to he's got to want to want playoff football. Like the club wants playoff football for each other. Like it's just, I agree with Dale. Not serious people. No, and and I mean, if, if if you think about Ufi, right? I mean, he's he's looking for contracts overseas at the moment. I I really doubt that he wants to be going into those interviews with them asking the form question. You know, he'd rather say, "Yep, we had a bit of a slump, but you know, it's turned around. We've done this in the playoffs." Of course, he'd rather be in that position than, well, it all turned to shit once he started looking. Yeah, to be to be fair. If he says that if he makes the playoffs, that's probably all he needs to say. They'll go, yes, he made the playoffs. Yes, he made the playoffs. Yes, he made the playoffs. Four, three years out of four, he needs to he needs to do this for his future. Final words, Dale. Yeah, I mean, I, like I, mean, I see some other comments around. Oh, you know the players, you know who are leaving. They're already, you know, um, don't care. I, I find that hard to, hard to believe. You know, you don't become professional player by not having the right, you know, attitude. Very few players get to that point without having a, you know, a winning attitude. Um, and, you know, some of them still have contracts to play for. You know, some of them are probably quite close friends with teams, you know, players still on the, you know, in the team. I, I just find a lot of the sort of random assumption making just a bit pathetic, really. Yeah, and I, I just speaking to that from the that Wanderers game, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but I'm sure they're, the same names that were being thrown about on the forum, some of those guys who were leaving, they were the ones who were hurting the most when they came off and were were uh, shaking hands with the fans and stuff after the game. They were hurting. They, they yeah, certainly um, haven't given up on the season. They, they yeah, every, every one of those goals hurt. If you're Clayton Lewis, this is your hometown club, there's a strong possibility he may want to retire here in the future. He's going to have a vested interest in this club moving forward. You know, there's there's a strong possibility of that. He cares. He doesn't want to leave the club in a worse place than when he started. So, yeah, I, I find that take to be particularly poor, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, from a competitive in nature it's i find it quite hard anyway i mean it's like it's like the idea that you get to masters or presidents and it's like it's okay it's just a fun day out you don't see yeah a lot of bunch of old men 
breaking a hip just to dive in for a tackle for a game that doesn't mean anything. I still do. Well, it's a bit disrespectful, to be honest, because I think of all the things you can say about this season, lack of desire has never been one of them. I reckon they can turn around. It's going to come from six, win the whole thing. You, you heard it here first. The, yeah, well, uh, if I'm right, it's going to be so great, right? If I'm wrong, everyone's going to be like, well, that was obviously wrong. But if I'm right. <laughs> you look like a genius, yeah. Yeah, well, you are treading that same path that Chiefy is now, so... You know, there's obviously something in there. <laughs> Turning her, her lawyer career into football coaching. Yeah, the well-trodden the well path. I went from football coaching into lawyering. I think that he might have, I think he might have got that one right. <laughs> I'll add him on LinkedIn, see how that goes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the cease and desist letter from your mum. Uh how about we just leave it there uh, because we are we have hit 20, oh, nearly 30 minutes and Dale is already looking tired. The editing job shouldn't be too bad, mate. We haven't screwed up too much. <laughs> uh, but thank you all for joining me and um, uh, giving Chiefy some good questions and uh, getting some really good answers, I thought. And uh, hopefully we've got something a lot more pleasant to talk about. Nice qualification for that playoff and some sparkling form and we'll be back with that next week so thanks for listening bye